Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Florida, Walt Harris versus Alistair Overeem, and Shaq, it's going down tonight in Jacksonville, Florida. Two heavyweights in the main event, Walt Harris looking to come out with the triumphant return. Yeah, Walt Harris, we know the unfortunate, you know, tragedy that he had in his family, and, you know, all our prayers went out to him. And I like how the MMA community gathered, gathered together, you know, to to wish Walt, you know, uh, the best during the during a tough time. And I'm glad to see him back in the cage where he belongs. You know, before that incident, I mean, he was on quite the roll, knocking out Alexi in 12 seconds, you know, putting beatdowns on Sergey Spivak, uh, you know, be- beating uh, Andre Arlovsky. And Overeem's one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. He's got wins over Verdum. Uh, I know he's, he's been knocked out how many times, but, you know, uh, the guy's still a legend. He's, you know, still probably the richest heavyweight on the roster. And, you know, uh, Overeem's always in for a good fight, man. Let's just say his purse won't be affected if he gets knocked out in this fight. So I'm very much looking forward to what takes place tonight in Jacksonville, Florida. And before we break down this card start to finish, just got to let you all know to go to bestfightpicks.com and hit us up for our bets. Use that promo code SHACK50 for 50% off Shaq's bets. Use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off mine. Or if you want both our plays, hit up the VIP packages with the promo code 2020 for 20% off. Well, Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Dante Mays, he's 7-3, and three, and Rodrigo Nascimento is 7-0. and oh. Currently, they got Rodrigo Nascimento minus 110. The comeback on Dante Mays is plus 100. Well, Shaq, I got to give Dante Mays a lot of credit. He's come a long way since Snoop Dogg famously said he wasn't invited to the gang fight back when he fought Alan Crowder. Since that point, he made a second appearance on Contender Series, won by first-round knockout. And then he had to fight, you know, Cyril Gaon, one of the top heavyweight prospects in his UFC debut. So no matter what happens, this is a step down on paper. But do you think he'll be able to deal with the jujitsu uh, brown belt of Rodrigo Nascimento? Interesting fight because, like you said, Mays, his first fight with Crowder, I mean, it, it was ugly. I mean, he got his ass beat. He gassed out by the end of the first round. And, you know, he went on to beat Kamaru Usman's brother on the local scene. Uh, you know, that's a solid win at heavyweight. And then he came back, beat a, a 22-year-old heavyweight uh, and pretty, you know, it was a better performance than the first time. And then the third time against uh, that 6'7 guy, I mean, he put him down unconscious, man. So he definitely is getting better. He's 6'6". He's, you know, he's at the heavyweight limit. He's kind of got a different uh, style. He likes to spin. He likes to, you know, be a, a little dynamic in there. But this guy, Nascimento, man, it seems like he's, you know, he's uh, well-equipped on the ground. He seems like he knows where his skills lie. The That fight on the contender series, I mean, let's be honest here, it was against a bum. So we really don't know the full capabilities of what, you know, what the guys really got. But, uh, you know, I, Mays on the mat is a little sketchy, man. Uh, but the thing with Mays is, man, that fight was surreal gone. It could have been a possible eye-opener. I mean, surreal gone. That guy might uh, he might not be a French fraud, you know. That guy might be, uh, that guy might be the next, uh, the next uh, heavyweight champion, you know, uh, one of these days. Uh, so, you know, I think Mays might possibly come in a little better. You know, he just got a super eye-opening experience or... Maybe he got the shit beat out of him to a point so that he'll never be the same. But I think May should be the favorite here just because we know more about him. You know, I think he's got better physical attributes. You know, he is training with John Jones. Uh, you know, I- I'll go with Mays for the win. It's not a very confident pick just because, 
you know, I may, I do have maybe a, a small uh, suspicion that the kid, you know, if Nascimento gets on top of him, that, you know, maybe Nascimento can get a sub, but I have to pick Mays just because I know more about him. And, and he is somewhat developing, and I think he got an eye-opener against Cyril God. Yeah, look, Mays is definitely seeing a higher level of competition. I mean, when you talk about Nascimento, in his contender series fight, he his opponent went for a head and arm throw. I mean, like... When you have heavyweight males going for head and arm throws, that just tells you the level right there. And he got on top as a result of that failed head and arm throw, and he submitted the guy. So that's basically all the footage there is of him. And then there's a fight from 2012 or some shit. So, you know, it's really tough to tell. But the good news for him is that he trains at ATT. He's got a good camp behind him, good people behind him. He's allegedly a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. The times I've seen him on top, seems like he knows what he's doing. So... With Dante Mays, I'm not sure if he's got a karate background, a taekwondo, kung fu, something among those lines, but he definitely has an unorthodox striking style. Kind of worries me, though, because for a man that big to be bouncing the way he does, it's definitely going to gas himself out, and then you've seen on the mat, it's super suspect. So I really don't know which way to lean, but since uh, I think one guy has a big advantage on the mat, I'll lean with Rodrigo Nascimento, but no, no confidence in this pick, gentlemen. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Courtney Casey, she's 8-7, and seven, and Mara romero Barella is 12-7. and seven. Currently, they got Courtney Casey minus 155. The comeback on Mara romero Barella is plus 145. Well, Shaq, it's an interesting fight for a couple of reasons because Courtney Casey has been taken down 19 times in UFC competition, and Mara romero Barella scored a takedown in every single UFC fight she's had. But when you look past the stats... Courtney Casey is the far tougher fighter. And Mara romero Barella, honestly, if you go back and watch those regional fights, she got knocked out cold three times in a row. And ever since that point, she hasn't been the same. The reason she got to the UFC was because she won that Invicta belt. But when you look at the competition she was in there with, it was almost like a foregone conclusion that she was going to go in there and beat Milana Dudieva. You remember Milana Dudieva, Shaq? And she beat her by split, so it could have gone either way. But bottom line, that's how she got to the UFC I think Mara romero Barella is not only lacking in the chin department, but is lacking in the confidence department. And if she can't get on top of uh, Courtney Casey for extended periods of time, she's not going to win this fight. And not only that, even if she does, I could see Courtney Casey attacking off her back with arm bars. It's just a situation where Courtney Casey is the far uh, superior fighter. It's just she does dumb shit. <laughs> you know, like she gives up way too many takedowns too easily and then for example that Felice Herrick fight it's 50-50 in the third round and instead of fighting they're they're flicking each other off you know with a minute left so I question the fight IQ but at the end of the day I think Courtney Casey is the superior fighter and the tougher fighter so I'll pick her for that reason Shaq yeah I mean Mara Barella she's been KO'd I think five times maybe uh you know, she got dropped her last fight against a, a grappler. So I think uh, there's a good chance the end is near with Mara Barella. You know, she had a couple good wins, like, yeah, two wins. But uh, like you said, man, Casey has been unreliable throughout her whole career. She's four and six in the UFC. She's an, I don't want to say an habitual stunt puller, but it's just she. I mean, I know you remember that Jessica Aguilar fight back in the day where she got taken down like a hundred million times, <laughs> like, uh, you know, fortunately for her, Aguilar is a, a complete punching bag, so she was able to still get the win. But like you said, man, that takedown defense is sketchy. It kind of looked a little improved against Calvillo, but I, you know, 
Calvillo was kind of suffering from the from the calf kicks. So, you know, I, I agree. I'm going to take Casey for the win here. I think Mara Barella's heart's not in it. I think she's lost all confidence. And I think that her chin, you know, ever since that Lauren Murphy vicious knockout, you know, she, I mean, you saw how she came back for her return. I mean, it was even worse. So I think it's probably, Casey probably gives up a couple early takedowns, but at some point she'll probably land a big shot here and the tide will turn and, you know, she'll get a win. But, man, Casey... Casey's something else, man, because, you know, she's moving up a weight class for this fight. And, you know, I know she made weight today, but, you know, she didn't she didn't necessarily look the best on the scales either, man. She needed that hoop, but not saying that it matters, but this girl is flaky to me, man. So I'll take her for the win, but I think both are flakes. Yeah, I mean, if an eight and seven record is any indication, she's definitely a, a flake. And, you know, it's funny because that Mara Romero Barella fight versus Tyler Santos was more about what Tyler Santos did wrong than what Mara Romero did right. So... I can't wait to see what happens in this fight. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Darren the Damage Elkins, he's 24 and 8, and Nate the Train Landwehr is 13 and 3. Currently, they got Darren Elkins minus 120. The comeback on Nate Landwehr is plus 110. Well, Shaq, it's a it's an interesting matchup because look, we actually uh, or I actually went out there and successfully faded both these gentlemen in their last fights at Dog Money, bet on Ryan Hall, bet on Herbert Burns, and this is an interesting matchup because obviously Darren Elkins, his name, the damage, he's known for taking all that damage. But the thing about that style is once your durability goes, what's he got left, man? Uh, I know his wrestling is on point, but the thing is he's known for taking that ass whooping up front and coming back. And in that last fight, you know, people are going to say that Ryan Hall's got this unique style. I, I, I 100% agree, but it's not like Ryan Hall went out there and heel hooked the guy. If he heel hooked the guy, I completely understand. Ryan Hall was out there dropping him with punches, Shaq. So I think we're at a point now where it's not going to take much to come out here and beat him. It's just a matter of not getting taken down and laid on for extended periods of time. And look, I think this is going to be a back and forth fight. And the bookies actually opened Landware, a minus 175 favorite in the spot. All the public took uh, the action on Elkins at Dog Money, flipped the line. And look, there is a chance that... Elkins get those takedowns, but from what I've seen from Landwehr on his regional footage, which was, by the way, in Russia, he's the M1 champion, he does get taken down, but he seems to scramble back up to his feet every time, even in the UFC debut when he was caught in that deep Dars choke against Herbert Burns. Most people are going to sleep or tapping. He was able to scramble up to his feet, and it seemed like that was going to be his moment to come back. Unfortunately, he got caught with a big knee. It was what it was. I think that this is going to be an interesting back-and-forth fight, and I think that Nate Landwehr is going to put it on Darren Elkins and uh, get his first UFC win here. So I'm actually rolling with Nate the Train on this one, Shaq. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think Father Time's caught up with Elkins. I think he had a great run, man. But I think, you know, when, you, when the whole MO of your game is the damage and, you know, you got the damage tattoo on your chest and, you know, your whole game is based on you know, letting these guys dump their energy tank and, you know, you coming back in a, in a late win. And, you know, when we look at his win streak, man, when he, when he was, you know, when he moved to alpha male and he, uh, you know, he went on, he rejuvenated his career, you know, he beat Chad Skelly, uh, you know, me and you both know there were some behind the scene, behind the scene things going on. And then, you know, uh, he beat, uh, Mursad Bektik in a fight where, I mean, he was getting completely mollywopped and taken down, dropped, I mean, beat up. But we know that Mursad is a, a little mentally challenged, you know. <laughs> and then, 
And then the fight with Dennis Bermudez, who's, you know, kind of washed up at the time. And, you know, it was a split decision. And uh, the Michael Johnson fight where, I mean, if you didn't learn this path a couple of days ago, I mean, like I said, you never know what Michael Johnson is going to do. So, you know, uh, I think Elkins had a good run. But when, like I said, when your MO is the damage, when that's what your game is based on and you can't take the damage anymore. I mean, let's just be honest here. When Ricardo Lamas is out here looking like a K1 striker against you and when Ricardo Lamas is looking like a, top, a legit top 10 guy against you, I, you know, I think it might be damn near time to hang him up, man, you know. And then you come back, like you said, against Ryan Hall, who's a leg lock jujitsu guy, a flopper. And this guy's, you know, dropping you and hurting you. I think that the end is near for Elkins. Now, I'm not saying that Nate, the train, is some world beater or anything, but I think he's going to be very, very hungry coming into this spot because let's not forget this guy had a lot of hype coming into the UFC, was the favorite against Herbert Burns. Things didn't go his way. He got embarrassed. A lot of times, you know, these kids, they screw up in their debut and they come back better, a lot better the second time. And this is a fight he asked for, man. And he's had this fight on the horizons not saying that it means anything but i think he's the younger fresher version of darren elkins and the fact that he's dog money i think it's a good sign i think he knocks darren elkins out and i and 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 i hate to see darren in a spot like this but let's think let's think about these these horrendous beatings it all started with the the merced bectic fight now you know of course it was great he got the win but think about how much damage he took to the dome that night bro and then let's what about that volkanovsky fight i mean there were times where he was hitting the deck and you know, Volkanovski, that was actually one of his worst performances in the UFC, in my opinion, because he was trying to kill Elkins instead of, you know, doing what he typically does, which is feign and pick the shots. And, you know, when Volkanovski, a guy like that, gets, you know, clean chin shots on you like that, I mean, he's going to wreck that chin forever. And then Lamas, I mean, I think Elkins has had a great run, but I think uh, Father Time is catching up with him. So I'm going to go with Nate Landwehr. Now, also in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Giga Chikazi, he's 9-2, and two, and Erwin Rivera is 9-4. and four. Currently, they got Giga Chikazi minus 350. The comeback on Erwin Rivera is plus 290. Well, Shaq, look, I like this kid, Erwin Rivera. He's tough. He's a Mexican warrior. He comes in there with that spirit. The kid looks to throw down. He's got some decent experience. Went the distance with Steven Peterson. Even knocked out Lazar Stojadinovic, who at one point was on a little run. Could have got the UFC call. Unfortunately, he lost that fight to Ton Lee and then lost to this kid, Erwin Rivera, as well. I like the kid a lot. It's just that, you know, taking a UFC short notice call on two days up a weight class, he's going to be massively outsized. And while he does have some skills, I mean, you know, Chikazi's got a weakness on the mat. Maybe this kid will look to take it there. I just don't know what kind of shape he's in. And it'll be a serious upset if he pulls this off. I don't see it happening. I think this is going to be Giga Chikazi's uh, first knockout win in the UFC. And I think it's going to be via the Giga kick. And if people don't know about that Giga kick, it's like a... It's like a baseball bat, man. The crack. You cringe when you hear the sound of that Giga kick. It's like, uh, remember when David Justice used to play on the Braves and he'd hit those home runs with that beautiful swing? It sounds like that when uh, Giga Chikazi gets off on that on that liver kick. And I think he's going to knock this kid out, Shaq. Yeah, I agree, man. I think Giga Chikazi, since his Austin Springer performance, has made tons of improvements. You know, he got that debut against Brandon Davis, uh, won those first two rounds with his dynamic kickboxing. It seems like he's, you know, still trying to figure out his 
his footing, you know, just his his niche in the cage. You got to remember, this guy was fighting complete cans on his local scene uh, in that Gladiator Challenge. So he's still not fully used to fighting, you know, good opponents. You know, he's just he's still got so much more to go. I think uh, his, his, you know, his uh, ceiling is really high. Once he, I mean, look at his last fight against Jamal Emers. A lot of people bet Emers saying that, uh, you know, he was gonna capitalize on the wrestling and. Giga Chikadze actually swept Emers, man. Those uh, private lessons are paying off with Dariushin. I think he comes out here and stops Erwin Rivera. Erwin Rivera is a tough guy from from Hard Knocks 365, but you know, a short notice against a, a glory striker, and it ain't no, it ain't no, just. You know, uh, I've made some jokes in the past about some of these glory strikers, like, no offense to Roberson, but like, you know, like a Roberson level glory striker. I mean, you know, Brian Foster fought on glory too, right? <laughs> um, you know, this is a real glory striker, man. This is a guy that actually won championships in glory. So, you know, I think Giga Chikadze comes out here and knocks him out in the first round. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Kevin Holland, he's 16 and 5, and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez is 7 and 1. Currently, they got. Anthony Hernandez minus 110 and Kevin Holland is plus 100. So Shaq, this line is flipped. It initially opened a pick him with a slight lean on Holland. Now the slight lean is on Hernandez. Uh, it's an interesting matchup. Two very talented prospects. Who you think uh, gets uh, another UFC win? Yeah, it's a tough fight, man. Both, uh, you know, Hernandez, he, he only has a very few amount of fights, but, you know, uh, He's he's made it a long way in the, in that short amount of time. He's got vicious power in his hands. He's got a good uh, little choke game that he likes to go to. Uh, beat Brendan Allen on the local scene. Uh, I mean, dominated him. Uh, came out there. You know, he got finished by Maluco in his debut in Brazil. Tough tough situation for him. But then he comes back, fights a. Uh, that dude park on on Chinese turf. I mean, he had to make a flight all the way over there when a lot of the Americans didn't look too good that night. And he uh, found a way to, to get his job done, man. So I, I like Fluffy Hernandez. I think he's got a lot more to go. Holland, I've, I've always liked Kevin Holland, man. I've known about Kevin Holland for a long time since his Bellator days. It just seems that when he uh, he's super talented, he's got wins over guys like GM3 and Rico. so on paper it's like this guy's resume you know i don't want to say shits on hernandez's but he's beating guys like gm3 like that you know that's what he's that's what he's capable of so you know it, the, kevin's biggest problem is himself he talks he talks a lot you know he plays a lot of games and all of his performances you know he's had flashes of you know this great jujitsu ability you know this long this long jab but it, it kind of feels like when the fight gets dirty that he kind of shies away from it and i was there in greenville against Dichirico. now he was able to get the win there but i remember there was one round in particular that he was just running away and he was like not engaging and talking a lot and i mean i know he I mean, let's just be honest here. He couldn't even finish Will Santiago. So, you know, uh, and then what about the, uh, and, you know, his fight with GM3, although he won and, you know, they, they had a good scramble fest. It's just, he constantly puts himself in bad positions and, you know, at minus money, I necessarily don't like that, but Hey, he is the dog here. And I do think he's the better fighter. So I'm a pick him for the win, but Kevin Holland, man, I think he needs to come out here and, and really make a statement, man, to keep, to keep that value on his name because 
his last few performances, man, have been just underwhelming to me, man. He keeps making these stupid decisions based on his ego, based on, you know, what Dana, what, what does Dana call him? Big mouth. You know, like the kid really needs to get his ego in check because he's kind of wasting, he's kind of wasting away talent, man. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope he does that because Fluffy Hernandez doesn't really have that issue. You know, Fluffy Hernandez's issue is just that he's only got what, like eight or nine fights. So, you know, I think that, uh, I'll pick Kevin because he's the underdog, but I think it's a, a close fight. And I, these guys, both, like, Kevin likes to lose position a lot. One minute he, he's got a dude fully mounted, and the next, you know, he's in a guillotine, you know. So, like, uh, I'll go with Evan because I do think he's better, but it, it's a, it's going to be a close fight in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a close fight as well. Uh, both these guys very talented. I mean, you mentioned he's got wins over GM3. Not just GM3. This guy finished Jeff Neal on the reg- on the regional scene. Uh, y'all should go back and check out that fight between Kevin Holland and Jeff Neal. Unbelievable fight. He's actually been talking a lot about dropping his 70s. You know I don't like that. You remember when uh, Kelvin Gastelum was talking about dropping the 70s before that Weidman fight, and you saw what happened there. So... I don't like that, but then you saw the shape he's in, so I know Kevin's in good shape at least. Um, now with Fluffy Hernandez, I like this guy too. He's a very proud warrior. You know, this is a guy that comes to fight. You saw his fight against Brendan Allen on the regional scene, tore him up. And uh, the UFC fights, I mean, you know, unfortunately he had to take that vet lesson against Maluco, but the next one against Park, uh, you know, he was getting lit up early, but I got to give the guy a lot of credit. He's very persistent and... His takedown entries are on point, so I do think he's going to take down Kevin Holland here. It's just that when he does take him down, the fight doesn't end there because Kevin Holland's consistently attacking with submissions off his back. We have seen Fluffy get submitted before, so I'm very curious to see how the the ground exchanges go on the feet. I think that Fluffy will be the more aggressive guy, but you know Kevin's probably the cleaner guy. It's a really tough fight to call. I'm also lean with Holland just because I've always been more impressed with him as a prospect, but... I think I think this fight's the definition of a pick'em. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Matt the Immortal Brown, he's twenty-two and sixteen, and Miguel Baeza is eight and zero. Currently, they got Miguel Baeza minus one forty-seven. The comeback on Matt Brown is plus one thirty-seven. Shaq, this is such a huge step up to go from Hector Aldana to Matt Brown. I mean, when this kid goes to bed at night, you know, he's got to be like, holy shit, I'm fighting Matt Brown. Do you think an 8-0 guy can beat Matt Brown in the UFC? Man, it's a good fight because, you know, Miguel Miguel Baez is super talented, man. He's like, honestly, the full package. He's a black belt. He can kick. He can punch. I mean, it's just that he hasn't really done it against anybody, you know. But uh, the word on the street is that the kid's a phenom, you know. But he had a very good performance on Contender Series. He actually fought a guy that was like eight or nine pounds overweight, and the dude had a significant uh, power edge over him, and he was able to maneuver around it and get the win. And, uh, I mean, we we seen, the, you know, what happens when these guys miss weight by, you know, we saw Jeremy Stevens when he missed weight by, you know, four at the type of power that he's throwing with this dude that he fought missed weight by, like, eight pounds. So, you know, uh, props to Miguel Baez. And then he, I bet him against Hector Aldana, easy money, didn't get touched. Um, so I like I like him and go by is a Matt Brown, you know, I thought he was retired. Then he came back against Ben Saunders. I mean, he definitely dominated him. But who hasn't dominated Ben Saunders, you know, uh, I mean, you know what Miguel Baeza would do to Ben Saunders? Uh, <laughs> it would be, I mean, let's just be honest here. They got Takashi Sato out here flooring the guy and all type of stuff, man. So I think Ben Saunders should have been retired a long time ago. So I think this is, we're going to really see where Matt Brown is. 
uh, at his career, if he's really in it to be in it, or is he just in it for a paycheck? And, you know, uh, Miguel Baeza, he opened up a, a bigger favorite than what he is now. And I think that's just based on the athleticism, based on the talent. And Matt Brown, we know that uh, he's got a name. I mean, Miguel was probably watching this kid when he was in middle school, when he was in high school, you know, telling his boys, I want to be like Matt Brown one day, you know. Uh, and they probably laughed at him. But, you know, I think uh, I'm going to go with Miguel Baeza in this one, man. I think his physical capabilities are going to be too much for the old weathered Matt Brown. I don't think we really got to see the full scope of him in that fight with Ben Saunders. I mean, God, Ben Saunders should have retired like five years ago. I mean, Ben Saunders should have retired after uh, my boy Peter Sabato, you know, had his leg folded back down there in Germany on that one card. So, you know, I think... Uh, I, I'm going to go with Miguel Baeza here. I think he's overpowers him, whether it's with some calf kicks or a body shot or even with a chin shot upstairs. And I think he's got the ground game to, to the talent to compete with him on the mat as well. It's just a matter of uh, if this becomes, if, if blood gets drawn and, you know, if uh, this becomes a bloody war, then then it's going to be one of those hold your breath moments. But I, I've seen him in some tough spots, man, against that dude. Granted, it wasn't Matt Brown, but... I, I get I like the vibe I get from Baeza, so I'm gonna go with him here. I'm gonna say by a second round knockout. Look, I could be way off with what I'm about to say, and I think this kid's super talented too. It's just I need to see more, right? Like you remember when like Diego Sanchez fought Mickey Gall, and but that's two grapplers. This is two strikers. It's a little bit different, but sometimes you got to take that vet lesson. And I just don't know, like you said, how does he respond when he gets hit? Like, he didn't get touched once in that UFC debut. But then again, granted, he ran through that guy exactly how you're supposed to. And it's funny because even Loriano Staropoli and Song Keenan, Keenan Song, they had kind of back and forth fights with uh, Hector Aldana until they finished him or, or won by decision. So that's one way of looking at it. Uh, I like the fact that Baeza is very, he's very clinical out there. He's very professional. You know, he does exactly what he needs to do. His distance is really good. He's a super athlete. It's just he's only 8-0, so he needs so much more seasoning. And you guys know what Matt Brown brings to the table. Y'all been watching him for years. I mean, obviously, his Muay Thai game for MMA is fucking great. Um, the kicks, the elbows, the knees, the aggression, everything. You know, this is a guy that he's the only man in MMA history to finish Douglas Lima. He's the first guy to ever defeat Wonderboy Thompson in a fight. So he's used to handing these young prospects their first L's. It's just that... He's kind of on the older side. He's retired before. It's a really tough fight for me to call. I could totally see Miguel Baeza come out here and blow him out the water for sure. Like, that's not going to surprise me one bit, you know, fold him up with a, with a liver kick. We know Matt's historically been weak to the body. And to a point where Matt's actually, last few fights, he's been fighting with his hands down. You know, I'm curious if it's because he's trying to adopt a new boxing style or if it's because he's trying to protect that body. But either way, he's been kind of using a different style lately. So, again, I could totally see Miguel chop him down with the calf kicks or hit him to the body, maybe even a head kick, whatever the case may be. But if that doesn't happen, man, I think that Matt will drag him to the deep waters and drown him. Look, I think Miguel's going to come back better no matter what. He's only 8-0 right now. He needs to have this experience. He doesn't know what this is like. This is going to be a really good lesson for the kid. I'm going to slightly lean with Matt Brown here. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got two exciting bantamweight prospects fighting at featherweight, kind of like Azure and Kelleher did. But this time, it's two top 15 guys, Shaq, because Song Yadong, he's 15-4, and, and he's taking on Marlon Chito Vera, who's 17-5. And, 
And currently, they got Song Yedong, minus 185. The comeback on Marlon Chito Vera is plus 170. Shaq, it's interesting because on tape, Chito is kind of a hard guy to cap because he can take that whooping up front. But you start to gas out on a guy like Chito Vera, and he will tee off on you. And you actually saw Song Yedong kind of gas out his last fight against Cody Stamen. Now, granted, Chito Vera ain't known for his wrestling. He's more known for his jiu-jitsu and uh, his Muay Thai. How you see this fight going down? Yeah, Song Yedong was quite the quite the prospect. He kind of lost a, a little bit of steam off that after that Stamen fight. And, you know, a lot of people can't can't forget, man, Cody Stamen, although he's not the most exciting guy in the world, man, he's super technical. He can wrestle. I mean, he's very, very un. Underrated. Uh, I mean, this guy got into the top 10 in like three fights. So, you know, I don't want to necessarily knock Song and say, come out here and say he's a fraud. I just think that he fought a super underrated guy that uh, doesn't, you know, really they get enough credit so you know but Cheeto man he's been looking the best he ever has I mean he's been out here finishing these guys like putting them in the dirt granted it's just no one it's, I keep I feel like I almost say the same thing every fight like it's just against no one like Andre Ull I like the kid he's exciting but dude his footwork shit his cardio shit I mean his chin's questionable he lost his last fight but he got lucky uh you know he just hasn't done it against anyone significant but I love Marlon Vera when he's moving forward, no matter who it's against, man. Uh, you know, like you said, he likes to take that whooping and give those guys that false sense of security. Kind of, that kind of loses a lot of first rounds. Um, but man, when you think about it, man, he's got so much experience. Uh, I think he's got better experience than than Song. I mean, he's been in there with John Lineker. He's been in there with Douglas De Silva. He's been in there with Kelleher. I mean, like, Gino's been tested, man. Uh, it's just that Sung Yedong, athletically speaking, is, uh, you know, a specimen. The dude can crack early. And Cheeto's definitely been cracked early, whether it's been against Guido Canetti. He struggled in the first round. Uh, but Song Yedong, I don't think he's necessarily going to have to be sprawling takedowns to, to work on that cardio like Cody, like how he would against Cody Stamen. But, man, I, I still got a feeling, man, that there's – I don't want to say Song's chinny or that he gasses because I don't think that's the case. I just think that – you know, people might have a small mis misconception of, like, how good he really is. Like, I'm not saying that he's not good. I think he's a top 15 guy. I think both guys are top 15. It's just that, you know, just because he, he floored Alejandro Perez, you know, doesn't mean that he's, like, some... Look, Alejandro Perez, I mean, doesn't he get dropped in every single fight? Like, you know, doesn't... Then he get dropped three times by Sukumthath, and uh, he got dropped by Eddie Wineland twice. I mean, he got dropped... He's been dropped a lot of times, man, um... So I think both guys are even. I feel like the line is a little inflated. Now, I'm, I wouldn't be against saying Song was going to overpower him for a decision, but I think it's going to be a similar situation, man. I think Song is going to be up 2-0 on two cards going into the third round, and then Chido Vera will turn up on him and, and get him out of there in that third, man. I think it's going to be a comeback victory. Uh, Chido Vera, I mean, this guy has been... Uh, I forgot that this fight's at 145, so that, that kind of does sketch me out a little bit. I kind of feel like he maybe might have done Song a little favor there. Um, but I think that Cheeto Vera, man, this guy's been out here running 11 miles, 12 miles, you know, been putting in, you know, that boxing has always been a weakness. But, hey, man, he's trying to make an effort. He's trying to... Uh, get that work in with Jason Perillo, one of the greatest boxing coaches in the history of the sport. I mean, he used to coach BJ Penn, Bisping, Dos Anjos. I mean, he's got a, you know, he's working with a very good guy, but I'm sure Song's hungry, but I'm going to take Cheeto on an upset, man. I'm going to say Cheeto by third round TKO. Yeah, I mean, 
you bring some valid points. I mean, if we're questioning the chin of Song Yadong or the cardio, I mean, let's let's put the Cody Stamen fight on the back burner and let's refer back to the time where he was knocked out. And let's refer back to the Vince Morales fight where uh, he didn't have to worry about Vince Morales' takedowns. That was a striking match. And in that third round, shit got sketchy. So I kind of agree with you, man. If uh, Song Yadong can't hurt him bad or get him out of there or just completely outclass him to a point those first two rounds... I mean, late second round, early third round, shit's about to get sketchy if you have that chalk on uh, Song Yadong. If, if he hasn't, you know, dropped him a couple times by then or, and stuff like that. And Cheeto Vera is not a guy I like to count out because, you know, I, I've been ruined for him his whole career. But then, you know, when I finally am like, oh, this might be a bad stylistic matchup for him, then he runs through the guy. So it's like he's such a hard guy to pick against. And I love his story, man. When you think about the fact that when he was training in Ecuador at this gym called 5050, he was literally, I'm not exaggerating, literally training with cab drivers and, and stuff among those lines. He didn't have any pro fighters in his gym. He made it to the ultimate fighter based off that, and he was one and two in the UFC training there. Then he moved to California. Look at the run he's on now. So I do think this is an improving fighter. And if, if you're sitting here using the fact that he lost to Davy Grant and Marco Beltran against him, you might have another thing coming because this is a completely different guy now. It's just that, athletically speaking, Song Yadong is the superior athlete. He does have crisper hands. But I am happy about the fact that Marlon's not just, you know, sitting at home playing video games, resting on his laurels that, oh, I can get all these comeback finishes. He is having those private sessions with Jason Perillo. He is doing all the right things. He is eating the right foods. His nutrition's completely on point. So this is a very serious athlete that he's determined and he's willing to do what it takes to get the win. So while I do think that Song Yadong can definitely, you know, maybe get the knockout early, if that doesn't happen, this is going to be a very sketchy situation. And uh, I'm not picking against Cheeto Vera again. I think he is going to finish him uh, late, just like Song Yadong's been finished late before. And, yeah, I know Cody Stamen's this great wrestler, and Cody Stamen's a very underrated guy. It's just that Cody actually broke him in my eyes. Um, so we know that in deep. Let's just let's just be let's just be honest here. That third round, Cody was giving them nuggies and talking in his ear, bro. <laughs> like I'm just saying that if, if things aren't going his way, Song isn't exactly known for being a back and forth kind of guy. He it's either he has to dominate you, or he dominates you and then gets finished, like what happened in that fight. And dude, I've seen him lose decisions to guys with five and three records. So you know, you know. Uh... Between you and me, he's a lot older than what they say. You know, it's funny, man, that you say that because uh, it's like one fight, he'll be 19. Next fight, he's 22. Next fight, he's 26. So I don't really know how old the guy is. I do think he's a specimen for sure, and he's very, very talented. And he might win this fight. He is the rightful favorite. It's just with Cheeto Vera, there's some intangible uh, elements to his fights, and he finds a way to come back. He, he takes that ass-whooping up front and comes back, and I think he's going to do it again. So I'm going with uh, Marlon Chito Vera, Ecuador's own. Now next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Eric, your boy, Anders, he's 13-4, and four, and Christoph Jocko is 21-4. and four. Currently, they got Christoph Jocko minus 142. The comeback on Eric, your boy, Anders is plus 132. Remember, uh... When they were trying to make Christoph Jocko marketable and they called him Chris Jocko after that Tamden McCrory knockout. And, you know, then he beat Talis Latest, I believe, in Brazil. And it was like, oh, shit, this is our new prospect. And then uh, shit has not been the same after that Dave Branch fight. And that was a very close fight that arguably could have gone either way. But I don't really care about where they scored it. What I care about is why was Christoph, you know, when he's getting pinned up against the fence and he's putting his hands up like... 
it's like, dude, like, I think he lost it mentally. He got ahead of himself a bit. And then in that fight with Uriah Hall, we can sit here and talk about how he was teeing off on Uriah Hall. Since when is Kristoff known for teeing off on anybody? He's a point fighter. He got away from what got him to the dance, got knocked out. And then in that Brad Tavares fight, he was completely lost. I'm glad they gave him a couple rebounds, but let's be honest, Amadowski and Mark andre Barrio, they're 0-2 uh, <laughs> oh and 2 and 0-3 oh in Barry the UFC. What'd you say? Mark andre Barrio. Yeah, I mean, guys, they're 0-5 oh combined in the UFC, so of course he got those wins. Uh, I don't know, man. What do you think about him and uh, Eric, your boy, Anders? Yeah, this is a... This is an interesting matchup, man, because I, I don't want to say I've, I've always shitted or picked against Eric. It's just I've always felt like, you know, for I've, I've basically described him as a, a football, you know, a big middleweight trying to fight like a like a bantamweight. You know, uh, it's like, you know, we want him to go out there and be the big bully and hurt these guys. And I just think that athletically, he's not the athlete that everyone thought he was when he first came into the UFC. Um, I still think he's a solid fighter, you know, average level, you know, just a tough guy that'll stand in that pocket and move forward. But I honestly thought he lost his last fight to GM3. I thought he lost his second and third rounds. He did a big chicken dance at the end of the third round. Uh, you know, I think at, I don't want to say he's better at 205s because, you know, he has took L's up there too. But, you know, the Elias fight, for example, you know, he loses that first round just by Elias running circles around him and he's sloppy and he's just missing the shots and he's not making adjustments, kind of fighting like a meathead. And then, oh, all of a sudden he finally does get in distance and he cracks him and he's got Elias all hurt and, you know, flailing all over the place. And it's like, you know, let's come out here and follow up on that, Eric, and let's come out here and put him away in this third round or at least beat his ass. And then it's just like, <laughs> he just stops throwing and it's just like dude, like dude what is going on here bro like be the be the aggressive football player bro be go after him you know like uh so man i think eric's hit his ceiling i think that you know, he's a tough guy he'll come to fight he'll he ain't a quitter by any means but i truly do believe that you know that three fight l streak i'm not gonna say that's past jock jocko because i i don't ever see him necessarily getting back into the top 15 but I think just from a talent perspective, that Christoph Jocko, at least when he was at his best or on his way up, I mean, bro, Eric couldn't even breathe his air, in my opinion. Like, I think that Christoph Jocko is capable of a lot more than Eric Anders. He's got better movement. He's got better smarts, better tactics. He knows, I mean, like when he was on his come up, man, he knows how to win those decisions, knows how to tie guys up and stall and move and dance and then eventually start doing his break dance uh, after he, I mean, we used to love this guy because, you know, all his fights, everyone would think he would lose. And then like, they would say 30-27 Jocko, you know what I'm saying? Because they didn't understand what he was doing. And I think that a similar thing's probably going to happen happen here man i know that eric's the underdog and and christoph i i will say if christoph has anything not going for him is that he kind of has a bad habit of leaving his chin in the air but uh from what i understand during that three fight uh Elster, at least around the tavares time it was a uh, he had actually had a bad hand injury man like uh he had to have like multiple hand surgeries uh that he had going on and he said he kind of just lost his confidence in throwing his left hand i think he also had a foot injury as well so he couldn't really like throw that left kick and he had just moved to florida and he bought a house and you know uh he's kind of putting himself in a in a position that uh 
I guess, like, on the outside of things, maybe he wasn't ready for, you know, he got married and, you know, he kind of put a lot of pressure on himself. But, hey, he got two two opportunities to come back and work, uh, work the kinks out. And I truly believe that just talent caliber wise that he's on a different level than Eric Anders. Uh, but, hey, man, we'll see. Eric can can capitalize on his chin in the air but i just think christoph is gonna be frustrating him with his side to side movement you know clinching him up here and there eric is a little stronger but he just doesn't fight like it like gm3 i know gm3 is underrated but i truly believe that gm3 boxed him up in the second and third rounds i know eric moved forward and gm3's got two right feet he's slow he you know doesn't move but I think Christoph Jocko is going to capitalize on that, frustrate him, and 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 break dance uh, for a decision. It might be controversial. It might not be. But I see Christoph Jocko break dancing uh, on on t- uh, tonight. Yeah, man, it's a it's a tough one for me to call because we already mentioned, you know, both guys are kind of inconsistent. But it's like Eric is consistent in his inconsistency. It's not like we see a different version of Anders. It's the same version. It's just if you're a certain level opponent, he'll beat you. If not, he won't. Whereas Jocko, like some of those performances, like it's like not the the point fighter that we once loved. But speaking of point fighters, Eric has a shitty history with point fighters. You guys remember the Machida fight? Y'all remember the Elias fight? Both split decision losses. And I actually spoke to Eric and wanted to know his thoughts on this because, you know, this is going to be the third time. Is third time going to be the charm or is it going to be three strikes and you're out? Because it's like... This style has given him problems in the past, but he's actually under the impression that Jocko is more aggressive than guys like Elias and Machida. He thinks that's going to give him the openings he needs. Now, I agree in the sense that it could be a fight where, you know, Eric's chasing Jocko all over the place and, you know, if there was a crowd that could be booing, but... I really feel like Jocko doesn't have the same confidence he once had, and that's such a key component here. And I do think somewhere along the way, even if it comes down to a slow start or something like that, I mean, if it gets off to a slow start, I think Anders is going to touch the chin of Jocko, and I think he might put him down. So I think it should kind of be a pick em. so I'm leaning towards the dog odds. I'm going to say that Eric does touch the chin of Chris Jocko and puts him down. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got the featherweight debut of Edson Jr. Barboza. He's 20-8. and eight. And Dan Ige is 13-2. and two. Currently, they got Edson Barboza minus 140. The comeback on Dan Ige is plus 130. Well, Shaq, I mean, when I first heard about this matchup, I was like, oh my God, why is Edson Barboza dropping to 145? But then you look into it. I talked to actually some people in the lightweight division, and they, they were saying that he actually doesn't even cut that much weight to... Uh, to make 55 so this actually made kind of this made a little bit of sense for him and look man he's taking on the streaking dan Ige. dan's on a nice win streak he's been doing his thing this is the biggest fight of his life is Ige ready to rise to the occasion against edson barboza yeah i think edson made a good move man i think that at 55s he was just kind of not hitting a plateau but it just you know he wasn't why not kind of try to rejuvenate your career man you know you just lost to felder you got knocked out against gaichi i mean he's pretty much lost to everyone in the top uh five six seven uh you know for the most part uh, except pettis uh, pettis not even ranked so you know uh and Dustin's his teammate, so they're you know they're probably not going to fight. So you know I think uh, I think he made a good move, man. Why not try to test yourself? Uh, and one thing Edson's always struggled with was his cardio, man. So I feel like uh, at 145, this is going to force him to get his ass up in the morning, put on all his running shoes, and put on that sweatsuit and start hitting uh start hitting the track, man. <laughs> you know, uh, 
get the, get this weight off, man. And him doing those long distance runs. I think uh, Phil Derue and him. I think he says Edson's been doing long distance runs, man. Which is guy, man. Those long distance runs, they're tough, man. They're tough on the legs, but man, they they pay off dividends, man. In the late rounds, which is which is uh, something that you know he's always struggled with, man. Personally, I, I like Dan Ige. I think he's you know rebounded very well from from his first fight against Julio Arce, but. I personally think that that there's a chance that this line could be wider. And I like Dan Ige, but I, I don't want to say he's a fraud or this and that, but I, I truly think he's an expendable top 15 guy. As in, I don't really think that he's a, you know, he's number 15, obviously, but I'm saying that, like, I'm not convinced he, you know, and I don't hate using analogies like this, but I'm not convinced he can beat some of the guys outside of the top 15 is what I'm getting at. You know, I think he's had a good run, some, you know, favorable matchups. Like, you know, let's just be honest here. Jordan Griffin, I I, I like the kid, but, you know, <laughs> Jordan Griffin can't stuff a takedown. <laughs> Danny Henry, I like the kid, but I mean, is you think he, then you think he's ever going to touch the top 15 or the top 20 or the top 30? No. <laughs> Uh, you know, Kevin Aguilar, you know, had a great record. But if you guys go back to Kevin Aguilar's, uh, go back to our podcast before Kevin Aguilar's last fight, I specifically said, yes, he might be 18 and 1, 18 and 2, or whatever the hell he is. But mark my words, in two to three years, we're going to be saying he's 18 and 6. You know, uh, I think that Kevin Aguilar blocks punches with his face. I think that, you know, a, a fighter like him has a very short shelf life. And I don't want to say it was per perfect place, perfect time, but I just think that Ige uh, is good enough to beat guys like that. But, bro, the, his Mursad Bektik fight, I mean, Mursad Bektik, like I mentioned earlier, is mentally challenged, you know. I think <laughs> that that fight was super close. I thought Ige, you know, did enough to scrape it out. But the third round, I mean, it could have went either way. He has a similar pattern of kind of winning the first round against these guys that have, like, aren't even in the same stratosphere as Edson Barbosa, even on Edson's worst day. You know what I'm saying? Like, even the Edson that fought Kevin Lee, I mean, he still landed a spinning head kick that almost knocked him out. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just think this is a possible mismatch. I think that Ige is on a, a great run, but I think that people, you know, if they're saying Edson's, you know, done and Edson's this and that, I mean, he fought Paul Felder tooth and nail. I mean, Paul Felder's number six in the rankings. I mean, it was a, I bet on Felder. It was a great fight. It could have went either way, but I mean, Felder's calves got busted up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he had to walk on crutches on the in the airport. I mean, you fight. I don't think Ige can handle that type of damage, man. And the reason I say that is, what happened when he fought Julio Arce? He got completely shut down. But then you know he got these matchups where he's still losing rounds to these guys like Jordan Griffin and Mursad Bektik and Kevin Aguilar. He still was flopping to his back in in all those fights. So I think that Edson Barbosa honestly is about to come out here and have a great 145 pound debut. I think the fact that he's been working on that cardio. I mean, just go to his IG and see that work he's been putting in with Phil Derue, who's coached world champions like Dustin Poirier. Uh, you know, number one contenders like Jorge Masvidal. And, and plenty and Amanda Nunes and plenty other plenty other uh, great fighters, man. I think it's gonna pay off dividends here. I think he knocks Dan Ige out either with his third leg kick TKO, uh, a vicious body kick, a, a spin. You know, one. I think Edson Barbosa adds to his vicious highlight reel of KOs. Yeah, I mean, look, if 
Edson was making his featherweight debut against Sodiq Yusuf or Calvin Cade or Yair Rodriguez, Korean Zombie, something like that, we'd be having an entirely different conversation. But look, I respect Dan Ige, but guys, like, come on. Like, Barboza is levels above Ige in the skill department. And the only reason this fight's lying close is due to questions about Barboza's cut to featherweight. The reality is Barboza successfully made 145 pounds this morning and looked pretty damn healthy to me. So my theory on the weight cut is Barboza had to run extra miles, be even stricter on his diet, which in turn is going to aid him in this fight. Because, you know, if you're acting like Ige is the guy with the superior cardio, Ige is the guy that gasses out in round two every single fight. And I think he's going to fade massively if he can't uh, get Barboza out of there early. So what I think is going to happen here is, look, Barboza is going to have a massive speed advantage. And he's going to light him up with the kicks, the fast combinations throughout the fight. And look, there's always questions about Barboza's chin. But again, the reality here is that he's only been knocked out twice. And it's by two champions. We're talking about current UFC champion Justin Gaethje and former WEC champion Jamie Varner. I mean, Edson has fought and beat a much higher level of competition. And look, I think he's going to outstrike Ige and route to a knockout or decision win. And it's kind of funny, like... You know, people can refer to this Habib and Kevin Lee fight. It's like, do you know what Habib and Kevin Lee would do to Dan Ige? They'd literally throw him out of the octagon, man. Firstly, Ige would never get those fights. Like, they're in different weight classes, but he will never get that type of caliber fight is what I'm saying. This is this is his only one. You know what I'm saying? He got a, he's got a good connection here. Um, but if you think he can wrestle like Kevin Lee and Khabib... <laughs> <laughs> he's nowhere near the size of a Kevin Lee or a Habib. I mean, I mean, look, I know people are kind of down on Kevin Lee right now. Yeah, maybe we can be down on him in the top five sense, but Kevin Lee is a fucking established top ten guy. Like, remember what happened when Kevin Lee took a step down against Gregor Gillespie? He absolutely fucking killed him. Like, do you remember what happened when uh, Edson Barboza took a step down with, with, and I say step down in quotes, with Dan Hooker, who's a top 10 guy, with Benil Dariush, who's a perennial top 15 guy? He absolutely murked these guys. So just because he's losing the champs and top five guys doesn't mean he's going to come out here and lose to Ige. Now, look, if Ige comes out here, puts him down, chokes him out, does the whole bit, I'm going to clap for him. I'm going to be happy for the guy, but... I don't see it happening, man. I think I think there's levels to this. I think Edson's in a different class. I think Ige's going to come back better. But I, I think tonight's going to be Edson Barboza's night in Jacksonville, Florida. And I do have him putting on a very impressive performance against Dan Ige. Co-main event of the evening in the strawweight division. We got Claudia Claginia Gadelia. She's 17-4. And, and Angela Overhill Kill is 12-7. and seven. Currently, they got Claudia Gadelia minus 215. The comeback on Angela Hill is plus 195. Well, Shaq, I mean, look, historically speaking, uh, anytime Angela Hill steps up in the top 15, she loses. But Claudia Gadelia, a lot of people seem to think that she's on a bit of a decline. And, you know, she has had some hit or miss performances. I personally thought her last one against, against Randa was one of the best of her career. But I do have to say this. So the criticism about Claudia gassing, it's very true. And in her last fight, she didn't gas. But there's one major factor why she didn't gas. There was zero grappling in that fight. They, they basically stood and had a very patient fight for three straight rounds. Now, if she comes out here and gets the takedowns, I do think she's going to be able to take down Hill. And I think there's a possibility she even comes out here and submits Hill. What I'd be worried about if I had money on Claudia would be is if she does take down Hill in that first round, dominates her, but Hill's able to somehow survive, get to the second. That's where things get interesting because, you know, even though Hill might be a step below, 
Her striking is pretty damn good for that weight class standards. And just in terms of the volume, she does throw more volume than Claudia Gadilia. So if she can get off on some calf kicks, start mixing in some combos after taking that early ass whooping up front, that's where things get interesting. But at the end of the day, Shaq, I do think Claudia Gadelia is going to play this smart. She's got good people behind her now. She says she's in the best place of her career. I think she's going to come out here, take down Angela Hill, pass the guard, and submit her. So I'm going with Claudia Gadelia via submission here, Shaq. Yeah, man, that's a that's a good take. I think Hill's been making somewhat improvements, but I think she also took a step down in competition from the from the Yan Chow Nans and the even the Randas, even <clears throat> the uh, Courtney Casey's. Uh, you know, I think that she fought a uh, you know Hannah Cyphers, who you know I, I like Hannah's story. You know, former former NFC vet. I mean, you know, Wild Bill's vet right there. You know what I'm saying? But uh, Hannah Cyphers. I mean. You know, I don't. I'm not gonna say too much, but y'all know what I'm what I'm getting at. And Carnalasi, a debutant who's like five one, and Luma, you know, who's got like six fights, and Hill still lost a round in that fight. So, you know, I, I think Hill, if she's fighting people on that level, yeah, she she can kind of clean up house a little bit. But you know, I think now it, I don't want to say it's back to reality, but I think honestly. You know, yeah, she does. Hill's a gamer. She'll come to fight. She comes to with that good pace. She comes with a hard pace. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, she could uh, come out here and possibly threaten Gadelia's cardio. But I honestly feel like it's one of those cases where um, I don't want to compare it to like a, a Gaethje Ferguson, but I think Gadelia's power, man, is really gonna stop her in her tracks. I've seen Hill at times wobble in some of these fights like Yan and like Randa Marcos, you know, like, I mean, I've seen her wobble, Courtney Casey as well, like, they, all those girls wobbled her, Androv, you know, I know Androv beat uh, Gadelia as well, but, you know, the only way I see Hill even having a chance in this fight is she comes out with a disciplined calf kick game. That's one thing I noticed uh, Gadelia doesn't like is the calf kicks. I mean, they kind of, you know, she kind of makes, uh, you know, when Calvin starts check, uh, getting calf kicked, you know, the, those faces that he makes, he's it's like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you know, my weakness, but uh, you know, I think it, it's one of, one of those similar things like that. Uh, you know, if, if she can come out here with a disciplined calf kick game, then maybe, but I honestly think that even in the boxing, Gladelia can get, can uh, take her. And I just think that just with her smarts, the new team behind her, there's no need to come out here and take this girl down. I think you can stand up with her for three rounds as well and still get the win with your power, with your pace, land the bigger shots, get up to that two nothing lead. And, and, uh, and then just, you know, if you want to coast that third round, coast the third round like you have many times before, but I just don't think Angela Hill's on this level yet. I mean, I thought the Ann John Ann fight should have been 30-27 if Ann didn't put herself in that triangle. And it's just every time she fights, uh, you know, someone relevant, someone legit, I mean, she she usually loses. And we're going to really see if she's turned this corner like a lot of people think she has, but I, I don't think so. I think that she just took in, she's fought Hannah Cyphers, Kanalosi, and Luma Lumbuki, you know, so I'm going to go with... Uh, Claudia Gadelia by 30-27 decision on all three cards. Main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We got Alistair the Ream over him. He's 45 and 18. And Walt the Big Ticket Harris is 13 and 7. Currently, they got Walt Harris minus 135 and Alistair over him is plus 125. I know it says 13 and 7. That's kind of misleading because, you know, the Arlovsky win is not on his record and the Mark Godbeer DQ. I mean, he beat that guy's ass and it's counted as a loss. So. The record's a little bit misleading on Walt, but man, you know, 
I could sit here and give technical analysis and do the whole bit. I feel like y'all can check out some other podcasts and hear how this fight's going to go in terms of how they match up. I mean, y'all know the deal. Reem's probably the more skilled guy. Reem has an edge on the mat as well. Hopefully, for his sake, he looks to take it down. But Walt Harris actually has turned a corner, in my opinion, because at one point in his career, it was like a thing where it was like, Walt, please throw, right? But now I feel like he's been putting things together. And, I, you know, I know people were mentioning that we're doomed fight, but, you know, a couple years ago when we're doomed takes guys down, I mean, he's passing your guard and submitting you. You know, he also submitted over him in the first round, too, back in the day. So I don't hold that against uh, Walt Harris. But look, as far as his matchup is concerned, um, you know, I want to break it down stylistically, but I also want to say if the universe doesn't allow Walt Harris to get this win, th- that'll just be an absolutely disgusting uh, thing, you know, there. It, like, come on, there's got to be justice in this world. Let this man come out here and knock Alistair Overeem's chin into the fifth row, which has already happened 17 times prior, and let him have that beautiful moment inside the octagon. Look, I got Walt Harris via vicious knockout. I think he is going to have that moment. I think he will touch the chin of Overeem, and as long as he stays composed, doesn't fight too emotionally, has his head in the game, I think he does have the proper technique and power to put away a guy like Overeem. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do, Shaq. I got Walt Harris here via vicious knockout. Yeah, Walt Harris, you know, before this all went down, was looking the best he ever had. Got that win over Arlovsky. You know, Arlovsky's still still a tough fight. Uh, knocked out uh, Alexi Olenek in 12 seconds. Played that very beautifully with the flying knee. And, you know, now he's back. And Overeem, you know, the Overeem's super technical. But progressively, man, I'm noticing that Overeem, you know, is you know he was already keeping things safe. You know, when he kind of has a little bit of rejuvenation for a little bit, and you know he get a, he go he'll get a couple wins. But now, man, I think he's so old to the point where like he can't really like get in any exchanges. You know, like he's keeping everything close to the vest. He's looking to tie up more and more, get the get the foot sweeps like how he got on Pavlovich, but. I, I truly think that I'm not saying, you know, they're not going to rematch, but I truly think that Pavlovich was just overwhelmed by the, the fact that he was fighting Alistair Overeem in his UFC debut. I mean, not too many people have a task like that. You know what I'm saying? So I think that uh, Overeem, his margin for error is like as small as it gets, man. Uh, I mean, look at his last fight. And speaking of his last fight, you know, I saw an interview earlier this week saying that, uh, or Overeem said that he got cheated out of a win, you know, uh, his last wait, fight. I, what? I was like, wait, what? Hold on. I mean, but he also said Stipe tap, so, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm just referring to the Jarzino fight. He said that he that he wasn't out and he got up right away and the fight shouldn't have been stopped, you know? So, I mean, look, he did get right up right away, but, bro, your lip was, like, fucking hanging. <laughs> like, hey, he got up right away. He was facing the other direction. Like... You, you got up and you did the, the TJ, you know. You remember when TJ fought Dotson? <laughs> but, uh, remember the end of round one of TJ and Cody won? Yeah, I mean, that, he did the, the stinky leg for a little bit there, man. So I think Overeem's a little bit of denial. He's saying shit like he's got, he's still, he said he's still got six to seven years left in the sport. And I'm just like, uh, Alistair, bro, <laughs> you fight six, seven more years, bro. I don't know how many more KO losses that's going to be, but, you know, uh, I think this is Walt Harris's night. The only thing that worries me a little bit is that he he did come in this fight a little bit heavy. You know, he usually weighs in like you know upper two fifties. This time he did he came at damn near at the limit. So you know maybe maybe he was eating a little bit extra in the meantime. 
I mean, I do see it probably being a little slow fight at the beginning just because Overeem is not going to give him much to go off on. But I think his wrestling has improved over the years. I mean, it's improved to the point where he's hitting Arlovsky with doubles, man. So, And Arlovsky's a hard guy to take down. Um, so I think that uh, I think that Walters, this is going to be his night. I think it's going to start slow. But I think at some point in that third, fourth round, Reem's going to do what he does, back into the fence and shell up. And Walt Harris will start to tee off on him. And eventually that KO blow will come. I, I can see why one would want to take the shot on Reem. I mean, you know, he is the better fighter. It's just he's the better skilled fighter. I mean, but he's the better skilled fighter than a lot of guys that he got knocked out against. You know what I'm saying? Rothwell, Bigfoot, uh, Travis Brown. <laughs> I mean, I could say a bunch Rosen of strike. Rosenstrike, I mean, he's better than pretty much everyone he loses to. So uh, I'm going to go with Walt Harris to, to get a, a fourth-round uh, knockout over Alistair Overeem. Maybe he comes. Maybe it's a little bit of a comeback winner of some sorts. But I think this will be Walt Harris's night. And I think uh, the universe would be a fucked-up place if he didn't win. Yeah, for sure. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch? For UFC Florida. My fight to watch is going to be Song Dong versus Cheeto Vera, man. I mean, this is a this is a pivotal fight in that top 15 because Song, you know, he's he's a big favorite again. And he kind of, I don't want to say he got exposed because I think he fought an underrated guy. But, I mean, I actually just took a, a look at the numbers in, the, in that fight, man. The, 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 I mean, stats don't tell the full story, but... I mean, when you look at the stats in that fight, it was absolutely one-sided. But uh, he, I think he needs this win just to get that aura back. He needs this win just to, you know, I know they want to have him in that Chinese market along with Wiley Zhang and, you know, all the, and Yan Zhaonan and all those other Chinese athletes. I think he really needs this win to, to stay on that path. And Vera, man, if he can come out here and, and like, finish Song Yadong or, like, put him in the ground like how he does – all his other opponents, man, that would be a huge statement. Then, then Jimmy Rivera could do no longer running. You know, he would have to. He would have to take the fight. You know, he would. I mean, or Cheeto would get to call a shot, get his pick of his next fight, man. That means he would have turned the corner to a point where, I mean, if he finishes Song Yadong, that that would be super impressive. So that's my fight of the night. And my fight to watch is Matt Brown versus Miguel Baeza. I mean, anytime Matt Brown has a fight on the card, it's always one to watch. But now he's taking on undefeated young prospect that represents the new generation. And it's funny because I had Matt Brown half the battle a long-ass time ago. And I asked him what his opinion was of this next generation of fighters. And he thought this whole next-gen of fighters thing was total bullshit. He's like, well, they have some kind of techniques that I've never seen before. So, you know, that's like his mentality. He doesn't think this kid brings anything he's never seen. So... I'm really curious to see if that's the case. And uh, with Miguel, I mean, like I said, he's probably going to bed at night knowing, hey, I got to fight Matt motherfucking Brown. So for that reason, Matt the Immortal Brown versus Miguel Baeza is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Florida? My fighter to watch is going to be... Is gonna be Edson Barbosa, man. He's making that uh, 145 pound... 145 pound debut. I think that this division... Uh, I don't want to say it's lacking sauce because it's a lot of great fighters, but man, hey, if you throw Edson in the mix with that, man, if he comes out here and gets a, a, a first round, second round stoppage or a vicious beatdown, I mean, don't be shocked when they start throwing him in there with Calvin and when they start throwing him in there with Sadiq and, and you know, Emmett and these guys, man, I, I really want to see Edson, uh, how he looks in this fight and 
this guy is one of the, the most the, one of the best KO artists the sports is, the sport has ever seen. I mean, I know you remember that day when he landed that spinning head kick on Terry Edom. I mean, pretty much the entire world jumped out of their seat and was like, "Oh my god, this guy's going to be a future champion." Now he didn't le- live up to the ex- expectations, but he still had a great career and I think that at this new weight class it kind of it could possibly give him life. So, I'm a uh, uh, Edson Barbosa is my fighter to watch. Yeah, I mean, the guy's been top 10 his entire career. So- so no doubt about it. For me, look, my fighter to watch is uh, Walt Harris. Look, all eyes are on him. And I truly believe that if he gets this moment, comes out here, gets this knockout win, has that incredible moment inside the octagon, I mean, not only is it going to be a feel-good time for all fans, but, like, I think he might actually become a star. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, the guy, everyone loves the heavyweights. This guy's got a highlight reel of knockouts. And if you can add a really impressive one live on ESPN when the whole world is watching... I think we could be looking at Walt Harris becoming a household name. So Walt Harris is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down tonight in Florida. They can follow you on Twitter at MMAGenius05. They can follow you on Instagram at ShaqBFP. They can follow me on Twitter at BestFightPix or on Instagram at BestFightPixOfficial. We now have an Instagram for the podcast at HalfTheBattlePod. So make sure you follow all that. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. Make sure you get our bets at BestFightPix.com. Use that promo code SHAQ50 for 50% off Shaq's bets. Use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off mine. Use our combined promo code 2020 for 20% off our VIP bets. Truly appreciate your support, BestFightPix.com. We will be back for the next card. I believe it's Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. Really look forward to that. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.